gotta come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. What's your earliest football memory? My earliest football memory is, so I'm a Swindon fan, but my earliest football memory doesn't involve Swindon. It was, I was thinking about, about this the other day. It was, I think it's the 1983 FA Cup final. I got into football probably that season, the 82-83 season. Um, I came to it reasonably late. I think I was about eight by that point. Um, and... I think I got into football purely through the Panini football sticker thing that was you know, doing the rounds in our, in our school. And that, that cup final was the first big match I remember. I remember the build-up more than the game itself because um, well, it's Manchester United versus Brighton. And I remember Brighton's manager, Jimmy Melio, was quite an unusual-looking man, even for 1983 standards. You know, he had the sort of the, the Terry Nutkins hair. Um, which I'm guessing might be sort of coming back into fa- fashion with the uh, you know, COVID-19 home hair- haircut sort of uh, thing. And um, I remember that Brighton went to the game. Uh, they didn't get a bus to Wembley. They, get, they got a helicopter, which, you know, to an eight-year-old seemed like the most amazing thing. Um, and it was a good game as well. Um, from I mean, I think you've got that, that thing where you, where you have these implanted memories from from watching highlights on on YouTube and that sort of thing, but it was a cracking game. Uh, but really, I remember Jimmy Melia's hair and Brighton on the helicopter. I remember Swindon Town played a friendly against Chelsea uh, around that sort of time, around eighty three, eighty four. And I told one of my friends that I don't know why I did this. I said I told him that my uncle played for Chelsea and that we were getting free tickets. <laughs> Absolute bullshit. Um, <laughs> And so then, you know, that kid told everyone in the school, oh, you know, David's David's uncle plays for Chelsea. Um, and, you know, obviously, even then, in those pre-internet days, it didn't take long to work out that my uncle Ken didn't play for Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> onto, your, onto your cartoon work, David. Your, I believe your first published work was in the Twin Town fanzine um, mm. when Duncan Shearer moved to, to Blackburn in 92. How did, how did that come about? So um, I mean, it's quite easy to get get something published. Then you could just draw it and and send it off. And they must have been pretty uh, slim on uh, on material that month because they because they published it. Um, I think uh, that that was it. Really, I, I hate to. I haven't seen it since, um, and uh, I, I'm not in any hurry to to see it now because I 
I know when I draw my cartoons now, thankfully I've got an editor who, uh, he's, he can spot the typos because they're hand drawn and, and all the rest of it. But then I'd have been, I think 16 when I drew that cartoon. So it would have gone straight into print without any sort of proofreading. And, um, and yeah, there is. I am still bitter about Duncan Shearer going to Blackburn Rovers in 1992. They, they absolutely signed him so that um, so Swindon and Blackburn were going for sort of the last playoff place in the uh, in the, the first division, and uh, or whatever it was called then. It might have still been the second division then. I don't know. Uh, and yeah, Blackburn just suddenly the newly cash, the newly iron rich Blackburn Rovers. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, sweep to, to buy someone who um, who they just stuck in the reserves. So, yeah. yeah, he only played about six games or something for them, didn't he? He did. Yeah, I don't know if he scored for them either. But then he went on to have an okay career. I think he went off to Aberdeen and he did pretty well up there. So, um, but definitely like the, the highlight, but the best days of his career were, were with Swindon. So, uh, but looking back now, I you know I don't begrudge him his big money move. Um, and obviously that that sort of time was kind of coinciding with the start of, of Sky and Sky Sports and, and, and their kind mm. of broadcasting of the Premier League. Sort of, and this is quite a broad question, but how has your job sort of changed between then or the role of, of what you do between then and, and, and now in terms of how football has changed with the, the advent of the, the Premier League and, 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 and that sort of thing? Sure, I mean... Uh, I was only really drawing cartoons as a hobby at that time. And it's only been in the last uh, five years, actually, that I've been doing it professionally full time. But, um, yeah, I've always drawn them as, as a hobby. The subject really has, subject matter has sort of kept rolling along. I suppose the, the main difference now is the, is the audience, the size of the audience and how, um, how easier it is to uh, to connect with them. So uh, when I was starting out as an illustrator after I left uni in the in the mid nineties, um, like to to get a job, you'd have to ring up, make an appointment, then go along with your portfolio and uh, and have a chat and and talk through it. And if you weren't a sort of outgoing type and um, if that kind of thing didn't come easy to you, then then it wasn't. Uh, wasn't ideal. Plus, you know, the whole media industry is based in uh, in London, or most of the print media industry is anyway. So, um, I ended up moving to London to to pursue that, and then you know got sort of waylaid into taking on other part time jobs, and then almost stopped painting and drawing completely, um, just because you know life's life takes over and. It, it really fell by the wayside. And sorry, giving you my entire life story here. That no, wasn't no, really the question you asked, but no, no, it's um, fine, David. But it was only when I moved to um, to Australia uh, eleven years ago that suddenly had found that I had a bit more time. And um, a friend of mine suggested that I just spend an hour a day um, painting or drawing or creating, just so I have that that outlet. Um, and it didn't matter if it's good or terrible. Uh, it just it was the the um, the habit of doing it, and uh, that really, from that bit of advice, has probably led me to um, to the point where I was doing it professionally. But just just getting back into it and picking up little jobs here and there, 
at the same time as social media exploding and being able to instantly share your cartoons and your ideas and your drawings with people. Um, so for all the evils that, that um, you know, Twitter and Facebook bring, I, I am painfully aware that I pretty much owe my career to it. So would you, do you consider yourself an artist first or a, like a commentator first? Because you do obviously sports and, and sort of social and politi- political issues as well. Would you... Do you think do you think of yourself as a, as an artist first or as a, a sort of social commentator first? I'm not sure. I don't know where I fit in, to be honest with you. Um, so I don't really fit into the. I'm not sure if I would call myself an artist because um, I don't know if you'd seen how badly I've been drawing today. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a good day to do this because I've had a, a, a just a day where I haven't made anything good. Um, so I don't really fit in with the, the art community. I don't really fit in with the cartoonist or illustrator community because I just purely um, create cartoons, well, mostly create cartoons about football. Um, I'm not really part of the, the sort of written fraternity. So I sort of float around. Um, I've always considered myself to be, without this wanting to sound like too sugary, um, but I've always considered myself a football fan first. Like in everything that I've I've ever done, that's always been my primary primary driver, which is completely pathetic, I know. But nearly every life choice I've made has been based around, you know, how easy can I still watch the World Cup? Um, you know, there have been, uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, like major social events that I've missed out of and skived so I can um, so I can watch, you know, a World Cup group game, and there's been. Uh, you know, it's probably a reason why my career never really took off was because the whole time I was just thinking, okay, how can I fit my working life around watching football, going to football? It's so um, it's unhealthy and it's bad advice to, to anyone. Um, but yeah, so I probably think of myself as a football fan. That's probably what will be written on the uh, on the headstone. Here lies Dave. He he really should have had some other hobbies. <laughs> just on your job david it obviously relies on you being constantly amusing and creative and insightful just how difficult is that um i probably put more pressure on myself than uh, than anyone else does um oh sorry put more pressure on myself than like no one puts pressure on me to to be to be funny or anything like that. I think um, probably know when a, when a cartoon has hit the mark from, from the reaction I get from the number of people who read it and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the mental health thing, I guess. Um, the, so I'm a worrier the whole time. I, you know, worry about everything. If I go on holiday, I'm worried about, you know, this and that it takes me, you know, a good week to, to unwind. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose the job of creating these cartoons and trying to think of, you know, funny jokes the whole time, it's not always possible when there's other things going on in your life. And even if everything's going swimmingly, um, you know, to sit down at your desk and say, okay, now think of eight jokes about this subject. Um, it's not always easy. And then as time goes on throughout the day, you get more stressed. 
that you also work in Australia, Germany and France as well as England. So I suppose yeah. you have to take in cultural differences as well of what people will find funny in different regions and also what's going on in those countries as well, added in the, mm. the time frame. Um, is it a lot more pressured than it appears? With um, So with France and Germany, um, I'm lucky that, we, especially with... Um, with Elfreunder, um, I work with a writer called Uli Hess, who um, he's written the books, uh, you, you might have heard of them, Tor, they're like a, a great book on German football history. Uh, he's also written books about Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. He's, uh, I think he's a bit of an Anglophile and he completely gets my humor. And I think that the English humor translates quite well into German. Um, and so the way it works is I send him, we'll talk about a subject, I'll send him uh, a script and then he translates it and then I, I copy it out. It's like being at school again, really. It's like mm -hmm. copying out these reams of, uh, of language that I've got a bit of an understanding of, but uh, I mean, really not much. Um, and if there's anything doesn't quite uh, land he's uh, he's he'll he'll point that out he'll say that you know a certain turn of phrase or a certain joke or a, a cultural reference um, would go over the heads of of the readers and I do exactly the same with Lekeep I work with um, with someone there who um, it, it's, it's exactly the same deal he he'll tell me if you know um, a joke that I'm making will completely baffle French readers. I think they like. I've never made. I've never hidden the fact that I'm English, and I think that. Um, I think that you know that's that's one of I suppose. Britain's decent exports is is uh, is comedy and humour, and uh, I think that uh, maybe we have a reputation for for a certain style of humour, and maybe I'm typical of that. Uh, so people take that into account and take pity on me. Um, and in Australia, working here, uh, luckily um, Australians are probably um, it's probably the most sarcastic country <laughs> in the world. So I mean, they they they, they get my sense of humour as well. So that that mostly works okay. There are little sort of cultural differences that don't don't quite work, but um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think people make allowances for the fact that I'm from <laughs> that I'm from Swinton. <laughs> and and how much sort of research and time drawing goes into on average a drawing? Because appreciate it's something that somebody might read in maybe thirty seconds, which must be a really strange feeling for you. That that might have taken you five hours or whatever it may be, and then all of a sudden it, it's over for the for the end end person yeah. in like thirty seconds. Can be like cooking a meal, yeah. You slave over a meal, and someone stuffs it in their face. <laughs> it's good, like if as long as they're eating it, then that's fine. Um, yeah. So in, in terms of how long it takes, uh, I guess so for the Guardian cartoon that that most people would be familiar with my work. Um, it's, at the moment, it's kind of all up in the air, um, but I set aside two days to to draw the cartoons. Um, and so with all things being normal, like in the old world before COVID-19, 
I would keep a, I always have a notepad and I'll keep notes throughout the week. And then on a Sunday, uh, I'll sit down and um, I'll sort of, I'll write a, a loose script or a loose um, outline of, of what I'm going to write, and what I'm going to draw. And on a good week, there will be like one, one huge story that everyone's talking about. Um, say, I can't even think of any now, but say, for example, when Granite Jacker threw his shirt off and, you know, um, something like that where everyone in, in football is talking about it and it's it's a focus and there, there's lots of opinions, then that's great. And I can sit down and just write a whole cartoon about that and do that in, um, yeah, in two days. But other times, say you've got a weekend where there's there's been, you know, not much has really happened, then you sort of earn your, your money a bit more by looking around the, the edges and, and trying to, I, I suppose, um, cobble together eight jokes about what's happened over the weekend and try to find a, a loose thread between them all. Um, so, yeah, it, it does take a while. Um, and then I do that for the French magazine, German magazine, do that for Guardian Australia. So, yeah, I'm pretty busy, which is good. I don't want to complain about it. It's uh, I know that a lot of people don't have work at the moment so I don't want to be sort of whinging about having work but I think when you're when you are a freelancer that the um the temptation is to say yes to everything because uh you know the fear of starvation is is a strong one um, yeah I can imagine that well you just mentioned yeah. there David um you make notes in the week and then you made start drawing on the Sunday so where does work end and life begin for you yeah, that's a good question. And actually, that's something that uh, my partner and I were talking about earlier on, that I just don't stop. So, um, yeah, that is something that I need to um, need to work on for sure because at the moment I'm just not setting aside any time to, um, to relax. Um, so I work till weekend. Um, I think part of that is um, because of, uh COVID-19 so at the start of the outbreak I lost half my work like half the contracts cancelled because there was no sport um and so I pitched for a load of other work um got some of that and now the uh, the magazines that dropped me have now things are picking up in Europe so you know I've been taken back on board so um I do have a, a big workload at the moment and again, that's not to, you know, complain about that because I certainly know that I'm I'm happier with the with the heavy workload than no workload. I was completely stressed out and just thinking, you know, I'm pretty much unemployable now because I've I've got this this sort of six five six year gap in my CV where um, I've pretty you know I've spent my time sitting on my desk drawing pictures of footballers. So um, doesn't really qualify me to do much much else. You know what I mean? So. Um, so yeah, remember what I was saying about being a warrior? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that work-life balance is is something that I'm going to have to think about and work on. Is there an element of because of the nature of the job and constantly needing to find and come up with new stories and, and new things to print that you can't really fully switch off because you'd almost yeah. be turning a, a blind eye to potential content? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's absolutely right. And I tried to take 
a couple of weeks off a year. And um, what I do is I'll file cartoons in advance for, for The Guardian. Um, and But you know, every time I do that, a huge news story always breaks. So uh, say like in the last year, I've had a couple of weeks off. The first week I had off was the week when um, England players were racially abused in Bulgaria. So, you know, that's a, a story that I'm interested in and I want to read about. So, um, and then at the same time thinking, okay, well, when I get back from, from my holiday, I'm going to, you know, I want to write about this. So immediately I'm back, back in work mode. And then the other news story that broke was just, uh, would have been February. I had a week off. Uh, again, went on holiday, and the second day I was away was when Manchester City were um, banned from Europe. So again, I'm thinking, okay, when I get back, this is how I'm. This is what I. Uh, this is what I want to say. This is what I think. So I'm spending my time again on my phone, sort of, you know, reading about it and trying to get my head around the issues. So the only way that you can really switch off completely is if you go somewhere with no phone reception and just commit to to not you know looking at the news or anything for for a week or 10 days which is a really difficult thing to do and you you must work in isolation quite a lot are you somebody who prefers that or is that difficult as well i think so actually it took me a long time to get used to it so um i got made redundant from my day job in a completely unrelated field in 2015 and uh at that time i'd been i'd already spent a year working for the guardian doing the weekly cartoons so i'd work nine to five come home and then spend like three or four hours in the evening drawing cartoons and i did that for the you know most of the 2014-15 season um and was considering knocking it on the head like i was just thinking i can't I can't carry on doing both. So, um, but then luckily um, I got made redundant. And at the same time, um, I had a, an offer to do, to do a book as well. So um, I had the redundancy, I had the book deal. So that really gave me the impetus to, to focus on doing the cartoon work full time, uh, which was still quite a sort of a, a brave decision for me as someone who's not, doesn't really, take chances like that you know doesn't really like uncertainty probably not cut out for freelance you know self-employment at all i like the security of of knowing where my next paycheck's coming from so that took a long time to get used to um and definitely working from home working alone that took a lot of adjustment as well probably i actually think it probably took me a good three years to get used to to, to working on my own because i am quite a sociable person i do like being around people but at the same time, when I'm, what I've discovered is when I'm drawing the cartoons, I need, I need absolute silence, which you can't always have when you're working at home. Like I don't live alone. I live with my partner. I've got two dogs who want constant attention. Um, in in terms of that, then just touching on the redundancy, it, it's something that's come up a few times when we've interviewed people that the big opportunity was almost born out of what could have been an, a negative situation and. Sometimes it seems it takes a redundancy for somebody to take a chance on their hobby or their passion. Mm. 
Do you think yeah. in, with that in mind, you become a bit more of a risk taker off the back of it or maybe had a little bit more self-confidence of I'm good enough to do this on a daily basis and, and you've so far been really successful off the back of it? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you're right. It does give you the confidence that that it's, um, it's something you can do every day. Um, and like I said, it was pretty out of character. I was already, so I got the offer to start working for The Guardian when I was already employed, already in another job, uh, to do this weekly cartoon. And I actually, I got the email um, with the, the, the offer when I was on holiday for my 40th birthday. And that was uh, ooh, five and a half years ago, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, it was almost like a, a life changing moment, you know, um, because I did, I was umming and ahhing about whether to do it because I knew that I already had this full time job and it would be time consuming. I was also, I freaked out a bit about the size of the audience. Um, Although I wanted people to see my cartoons at that time, I had, you know, um, I was just sticking them up on my blog once a week, sharing them on Twitter, and I really freaked out about the number of people who could potentially be reading it in The Guardian. And I freaked out about the comments section as well. It was really just a silly thing. I should have, and someone just said to me, just ignore it. It's fine, which, uh, which is, you know, the most obvious advice. So, um, so yeah, there, there was definitely that that crossroads, and I definitely I don't think I'd have been brave enough to have um, to have made that change without that sort of financial assistance to to get me going. Yeah, and as you've just said about the audience and the feedback, I suppose it's easy to tell somebody don't worry about it, but in reality, is is there a person on the planet who could submit at work to the audience you submit your work to and not worry about the reaction? And it's kind of strange one, I imagine, because if you're a musician or a footballer or an entertainer, the reaction's instant. So you perform your material in front of them and you can see whether they've liked it almost straight away. Whereas you're mm. submitting something and, and you've got that period to maybe think about, oh, was it good enough? Should I have done this? Or was 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 that the best version I could have released? Do you battle with yourself yeah. sometimes in that middle period of waiting for the reaction and submitting the work? I worry more about, uh, so by the time I finished a cartoon, it takes me two days to, to do it. By the time I've spent working on the jokes, um, I've convinced myself that they're all terrible. Because you have this sort of constant thing of, you need the critical thinking, you need to criticize the work. Um, and the line comes where you start criticizing yourself rather than, than what you're producing. Um, and when you cross that line and then you start thinking, oh, shit, I'm rubbish, I'm useless, like this isn't funny, um, it is easy to get into that spiral. But still, like every week, even now, when I send it off on a Tuesday to my editor, who's the most supportive, like the best guy, um, even then I still, most weeks, I'm sort of wincing a bit when I send it, I'm a little bit apologetic and say, oh, you know, this isn't great, but... Here we are. Um, and yeah, there, there is always that sort of, I suppose, waiting to see how it goes down. I've usually got a good idea when um, when it's a good cartoon. Um, but just that process of staring at it for two days, you, you do 
well, I tend to convince myself that, that it's not great by the time I, I send it off. How do you deal with that on a, on a personal level to to not eat yourself alive with the sort of mm. anguish of whether it's good enough? Do you have any coping mechanisms that you use? I think experience is is the main one. So I know that there are um, there are certain time. I know the feeling now. I know that when um, when I am really beating myself up, that I can take a step back and say, "Come on, this is silly. You, you're taking this far too seriously." It's fine. It's okay. Um, and you know, with the the worrying thing, like I used to do, go through this thing where I'd send it off, and when there is that that moment where you're waiting to hit, hear back from the editor, or you're waiting to hear back from you know whatever reaction, like I'd convince myself, oh no, they haven't come back to me for an hour, so they must be having a meeting about how they're going to tell me that I'm fired. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, so just that sort of going to the most extreme, um, you know, re reaction or that that sort of that worrying, which is what I've learned is that that isn't going to happen. Um, and even if it did, then fine, you just go and get another job. Despite what I said earlier about being, you know, unemployable, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'll just do something else. Is, so, is it hard then to ever complain or talk about the difficulties of work because it is a creative role? So is it almost like you're worried the reaction may be you love to draw, you draw for a living, you should be happy yeah. without yeah, realising yeah, yeah. the torment almost? Uh, there, There is some of that. And I know that people have, um, like, and I know myself, like if I'd heard someone 10 years ago um complaining about being a football cartoonist i'd be absolutely i'd throw my phone in the sea you know i'd be just furious <laughs> with them because it was absolutely my dream job and it, it still is i you know i love doing it despite you know the, the mental torment <laughs> that i pile on myself but like i say i've learned that it, it's sort of part of the the process and i've learned to sort of try and step back from that i know that there are um there are certain times like almost i don't know if it's you know, related to the lunar cycle or, you know, the tides or whatever. But I know that, you know, once a month, once every six weeks, uh, I'll just absolutely shit on myself for what I'm creating. Um, but I haven't had a good day today, like working today. Um, I just I haven't really had many good ideas. And, you know, you do tend to start stressing out because you're looking at the clock as well, thinking, okay, yeah, this isn't great. But what I've learned is that, the best thing I can do is just stop, have an early night. You might have seen when we started this conversation, I'd cracked a beer. It's six o'clock here, by the way. So, well, certainly seven o'clock in the evening now. So, um, yeah, just relax, forget about it, come back and look at it again in the morning. I found in lockdown that it doesn't matter what the time is when you open a beer, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but <laughs> do you think you worry in the same way in all aspects of life and did you in your previous job? Or is it something that's relatable straight to your current position? Um, it's almost like your calling and what you were meant to do. Do you put add the pressure on or is that just in your nature? In all uh, that's, a really, that's a good question. I think that um, I probably worry more about this because... Um, but I always wanted to do a good job in, in the job that I did before. Um, and, you know, you, you take pride in, in your work. But for me, this is more personal. I'm, um, so on one hand, 
I was always stressed in in my other job because I wasn't I felt frustrated I wasn't able to use this this skill my best skill which is is doing this um but now I worry that so this is so personal for me I, like this is I'm putting part of myself out there to 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 be assessed and that's the same with anyone who you know, uh, anyone creative who writes or draws or sings or anything like that, um, because it is is a bit more public. I suppose there is a there is an element of worry there. Um, it's probably that I care more, you know, and but also there's a financial thing as well. Like, um, you know, I do worry about that because guess you know, no one really gets rich from drawing football cartoons, and you know, like many self-employed people. I don't really have uh, a pension, you know, not really many savings. I rent, I'm in my 40s and, you know, um, I think my peer group probably look at me like a bit of an outlier, uh, you know, a bit odd that some of the, the life choices I've made. But at the same time, you know, here we are. People on the internet know I am. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose in any profession there is good worry and that might sound weird but if you remove yeah. all of the worry and you remove all of the pressure then your quality normally drops because you no longer is focused and almost as bothered yeah. as whether it's good or not and what i would say is with with any work-life balance i think at the end of the day you probably do get a lot of satisfaction and you're very good at what you do so it is there's a way of people perceive you should live your life and have all the security but most people don't do a job they love or what they're probably best at so having that is is a huge positive and i think it, sh it should be seen as that uh do you have to yeah. sometimes maybe remind yourself of that i do yeah yeah absolutely and like having conversations like this helped me to help me to remember that i wasn't happy in the job that i was doing before because i wasn't able to you know express myself in the way that i can now um and also I, what i try to remember is like um that a lot of what i do is like the jokes that i write i'm taking the piss out of football clubs or individuals and uh this is why i try not to really be too mean about about individual especially in football um like i i try to avoid making a, a joke about anyone's ability as a footballer um, and I'm sure now, you, you know, you can go back and find count, countless examples of where I've done that. Um, but I'm, I'm very aware that, um, that people who I'm drawing these cartoons of might, might see them. Um, and I wouldn't want to sort of contribute to anyone else, anyone else's, um, you know, self doubt, um, unless they're Michael Gove, in which case, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know any of that lot then then fine i think that you know politicians are a fair game um but well not all politicians but you know i don't need to name the ones that i'm talking about um, no that's fine we get it <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i am i am conscious of the, of the impact that uh what i write what i draw might have on other people as well and does it get easier with experience or does it almost become harder to maintain the standard you've set? Um, yeah, I mean, so I guess like I was saying a minute ago, the, the experience I have now is to be able to 
step back and recognize where my mind is going to certain negative places that that you know i can i, I suppose it's experiences equip me with um the ability to to take a step back and be a bit more rational about it and you know if this week's cartoon is a bit of a duff then you know let's hope next week is better like i do have times where i feel like oh no i've done like four bad cartoons in a row and oh, this isn't great but then the cartoons that i often think aren't great are the ones that that do the best uh, or get the the most positive reaction probably um the one cartoon that the most popular cartoon i've ever done is probably one which um was uh when arsene wenger left arsenal and i did the cartoon about him and like the closing scene of the shawshank redemption right and uh, that was one that I completely lost faith in about halfway through. And was like, oh, that was one of the ones where I sent it off again. Yeah, they're going to have a meeting about this. This is the end. And, you know, that's easily my most uh, popular cartoon. And David, you moved out to Australia about a decade ago, did you say? About 11 years? That's right, yeah. Yeah. How did that move come about? Uh, so my partner's Australian, um, which is the... The, the short answer. So um, we met in England and um, she she was over in the UK on a working holiday visa and yep, a few years later we, we moved down here. So uh, so yeah, I've been moved down here in 2009 um, and yeah, feels, I think it feels like home. Uh, how, how is that life difference over there then compared to here? Because obviously you know, sometimes you, you hear a uh, you know, Australia is basically just like a sunny England, but it when you when you meet some of the people from there, you can realise it can be completely different. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, cause I've been here for so long now. I kind of I feel that I, I'm not sure I feel like a, a Brit anymore. Not not sure. That I, well, I, I certainly don't feel like an Aussie, but I think I've certainly adapted to life a bit easier here. Um, as as a British person, because my partner's Australian, I've got Australian friends. Whereas I know other expats who've come here, and it is just do treat it like little Britain. I just hang around with Brits. Uh, having said that, I have got friends here who are who are English. You sort of gravitate to people who who have similar sort of interests and, and backgrounds too. But that job that I had when I when I moved to Australia. Um, involved a lot of travel so I got to see a lot of Australia um, both the capital cities and regional Australia um, spent a bit of time with um, in or in indigenous communities which is probably something that a lot of Australians don't um, don't experience so I was really lucky in, in that sense um, and yeah so and I think obviously the political changes in the UK over the last you know, four or five years um, have made me feel a bit further removed as, again, you know, um, like say, for example, Brexit is something that has driven a wedge through through my family as it has with, with many families. And um, yeah, I guess you sort of, you start to look at things slightly differently and certainly there are times where I feel homesick, but they're, they're less frequent. Whether that's a result of of, uh, of those political changes or whether it's just a result of being here for so long, I don't know. 
you get a, a completely different view on like English football um, compared to what you would have when you're at home and you're in that bubble? I suppose, um, yeah, maybe because now I'm completely reliant on um, on social media pretty much to, to get the gauge of what people are talking about outside of, you know, the, the newspapers and the, and TV. You know, I used to have those conversations with my friends or in the pub or in work, um, whereas now I hear those, com- you know, I get those conversations through through Twitter and that can sometimes be misleading. There have been times where I've drawn cartoons on subjects where I thought, oh, everyone knows this, everyone knows what I'm talking about. And then, you know, it's, it's complete, complete bafflement, mass bafflement I cause because, you know, it turns out that only a handful of people have seen the tweet that I have. Um, so it, it can be, yeah, I, I don't think I'd have been able to do this job in the, in the pre-internet age, not from, not from overseas. Certainly not from Australia. And do you get any, uh, you know, obviously you work abroad, there's a, a bit of a, a foreigner, really. Do you get any different response because of that to your work? With, uh, I mean, with the French and German magazines, I have no idea. I, I, <laughs> I don't even, like, I, I just, I don't know. It must be what it, what it must have been like to be a newspaper cartoonist in the, you know, 80s and 90s, because you just do it send it off you don't really get much feedback other than thanks it gets published and you don't really hear about it again um i i, I assume they're they're received okay because you know i'm still i'm still employed um with the with the australian uh or guardian australia um i've been here been here a while now so i know some of the sort of cultural touchstones and um i think people enjoy the outsider's perspective um and i sort of i think i've got or managed somehow to get a lucky innate sense of of where there's a line where where not to you know not to cross too much you know so um you can point things out about uh, a country's you know culture but um you don't want to go you don't want to go too far. For example, I've been told I can't ever make a joke about Mark Viduka. He's like God here. He's <laughs> completely different status to in the UK where we sort of think, yeah, he was all right. But, you know, Mark Viduka. Dave, you, you said you, you do political cartoons as well as uh, sport ones. How do those two roles differ or, or do they differ? Because I imagine you, you're still taking the piss out of what is seemed top level people. If Roy Hodgson decides to drop a player from, you know, from Palace, then then no one other than that player, his life is really ultimately affected. But you know, the decisions at a political level can can kill people. So what I've under, understood is that people are more sensitive about jokes about uh, about politics. Um, and so the first time I really cover politics was for the 2017 general election, which already feels like a, a lifetime ago. Um, and yeah, that, that was a real eye-opener for me. But in a positive way as well, I learned that there was a different set of skills and there was a different approach that I would need to take. Um, so yeah, it's, it's slightly different. But I mean, the basic, basic premise of every cartoon I do is that it's, got, it, that it's funny. Basically, I want to make people laugh. Um, 
And obviously that's that's not possible with every subject, but for the vast majority of the cartoons that I draw, I just want to make them funny. Yeah, and does that go, uh, like talking politically, does that go either way? Because there's a lot of stuff that one side does that is quite funny and then another side does that is even funnier. Yeah, it's important to be non-partisan and to, you know, to call someone's behaviour out when it needs to be called out. And this is what I find baffling about um, some political cartoonists who work for, you know, conservative papers or um, both here and in the UK, is it's almost becomes like a, it's not political satire, it's almost like a branch of propaganda. Mm. Um so I'd like to think that, you know, um, no matter who was in power, I'd still be, you know, questioning them and taking the piss. <laughs> I think that's the, yeah, I think the taking the piss thing is the most British thing of questioning someone ever, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why it translates well in, in, the, in Australia. Well, that's why um, I've, I've found it, the transition to Australia quite a bit easier because they have the same approach as well. Back in 2015, um, the French cartoonist uh, Charlie Hebdo, um, mm. they were victims of, of terrorist attacks on the back of religious and political cartoons. As someone who, obviously, I assume you would have heard of it and, and seen it outside looking in, as someone who's trying to get into that industry at the time, and did that ever change the way you approach your cartoons? I'm not sure if you were doing a, a lot of political stuff at the time. but yeah. Does that have a have an effect? Yeah, it didn't really. It didn't change the. Didn't change my approach. It it certainly didn't stop give me sort of pause to thought as to whether I should do this job or not. Uh, I was, I mean, I was still working in. Um, I think I was still. I think that might have been before I was doing this full time anyway. But um, but yeah, no, I think. Um, certainly didn't change the way that, that I write or, or approach the cartoons or anything like that. But um, it's a good question, but, but no, it didn't, it didn't change me in that sense. Is that however, well, this needs to be done kind of thing? You know, we need to keep doing stuff like this. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can't, you can't let that sort of thing stop you from, from, from doing what you do. So, um, and there is a, Know, an important place for for cartoonists or for for anyone who any sort of social commentary so um yeah i guess you can't you can't be bullied out of it and um you can't be intimidated and not not i mean that does doesn't just stand for you know the most extreme mm. you know terrorist reaction but um yeah anyone it seems like you'd have to be a little bit thick-skinned as well if if you know you're getting uh, you, you know, a few replies back, and you know, people don't like the political ones or the, even the football ones. You know, I know how tribalistic football fans can be. Um, mm. So, does that kind of go, that kind of add to your armor when those those uh, things kind of happen, those responses come in? Yeah, I suppose with um, so with some cartoons, I want to provoke provoke a reaction. So, um, say for example, the the Newcastle takeover. I did a cartoon a few weeks ago about that. Yeah. And I got an angry action, reaction from a lot of Newcastle supporters. And um, I think I felt that I was in the right there 
and I felt that it was something that, that needed to be called out. And I felt that talking about Saudi Arabia's human rights record wasn't a particularly controversial position to take. But like you say, it's, um, you know, I know that people, people's football clubs mean everything to them. Um, but yeah, I didn't mind that I got a, you know, a reaction for that one. Um, I think probably the times where you get the, the feedback that this things more is where, uh, if someone points out something about your work that you already feel vulnerable about, like if there's an area that you think like the, the worst feedback can get is where someone says, you know, this is rubbish because, and then points out what it is. And you're like, Oh God, they're right. That's, that's the worst. When someone's absolutely nailed you, you think, yeah, you're, you're right. You've done me there. But at the same time, you, you try to use that and, and improve. And But moving on to, do you ever get a lot of praise as well? I imagine that must be really good because it's funny, isn't it? You know, people like mm. to laugh. People will tell you that they've, they've had a good laugh to your, your, um, your, cartoons and I think as this is going on I think Ryan and Danny are texting each other about <laughs> with uh, little cartoon strips that have come in oh great yeah <laughs> so no that's, that's always nice but I am aware that like I have to if I'm going to take the the nice stuff then I have to take the you know the, the bad stuff as well so um yeah it's as somebody who doesn't take compliments very well either it's like I, I think I'm learning to to to, to be you know uh, a bit more relaxed about it. Maybe a bit more relaxed about everything. I mean, I'm onto my second beer now, so I mean that that might explain it. Um, well, yeah. That's terrible advice for anyone to deal with anything, but um, but yeah.